Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. And welcome back to B-Side. Uh, here today on B-Side, we're doing a little program we like to call The Authority of Canon. Uh, I'm Tom. Hey guys, I'm KJ. Okay. Today we intend to explore the idea of canon and specifically what makes something part of or not part of a canon. We can try and answer the question if Batman is contained within a canon, multiple canons, or the, if, if the idea of a canon doesn't apply to that world. During our exploration of Batman movies, KJ possibly incorrectly used the word canon to try and describe what he thought were islands of canon in the different Batman stories. This may have been a misinterpretation of the word canon, but we'd like to explore what canon is and how it's used in current culture, and also canon-adjacent ideas, when they work and when they don't. So let's jump right in. Uh, let's start, let's give the good, the good listeners or uh, maybe listener, we shouldn't do plural, or, or the null <laughs> space that, that this podcast is broadcast to, um, about where this kind of came from. Um, we were talking off off air about canon, what makes something a canon, and looking at like the different Batman series, film series, and if they are contained within a canon itself. We kind of introduced that in the opening paragraph. Uh, do you want to just kind of maybe um, recollect what our what our conversation was? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it was in a in a group thread, but. Um... Basically, I, I thought that a canon was any connected work. Mm -hmm. So I had suggested that the Tim Burton Batmans exist in a different canon than the Christopher Nolan Batmans. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we had Nick on the, on the group thread, and he had uh, you know something to say about the Star Wars canon. So mm -hmm. that, that kind of sparked this whole conversation as to what is a canon, what is not in a canon, what is not a canon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And, and my position vis-a-vis -vis this thing was that we may think of Batman more as kind of stock figures and, and Star Wars is more kind of a universe that is a, is a canon and has canonical aspects. Um, but I looked into different kind of levels of things we can look at. And I think one possible thing to look at in kind of approaching this question, and I guess we could phrase this question as, is Batman a canon or a collection of canons. I think that how you how it's phrased in the opening kind of works well, is looking at um, the biblical canon. And just an apology to our viewers, if you hear a dog barking or hear licking, um, my, my good boy Oliver is right here joining us for this episode. So that is what that sound is. Uh, and, yep, there he is again. Um, so we have a biblical canon. And what that biblical canon is, pretty obvious it's the books of the bible the books of the the hebrew bible as well as the books of the new testament make up the the christian bible the catholic bible and protestant bibles differ uh, both in the number of books as well as the order of books and the old testament of the uh, the christian bible also differs from the hebrew bible also in terms of of the number of books maccabees is not for example so would we hebrew say bible. they're separate canons well that's that's an interesting discussion i would say yes right because there's different authorities pointing mm -hmm. to what um counts in the bible and then presumably what didn't count what didn't make the final cut there it, it yes and no right so i would say they are different canons i would say the protestant bible is a different canon the hebrew bible is definitely a different canon um and i think i would say that each of these bibles functions as an authority unto itself more so than than have the what we might call the the plenipotentiary power of an independent authority granted upon it, right? Or when say the plenary power of an authority granted on it. Now, what I mean by that is um, when looking, I did, 
doing some research with this very basic research. I'm sure people who, who know this stuff know uh, much, much more than we do. Um, but looking at very basic research of the, of the Bible, this idea of the Bible having a particular canon at a particular point, like some guy came out and said, this is it, is actually not that clear. Um, it seems as if the 27 books of the Bible uh, were, were something that kind of evolved over time. And very often the, the Council of Nicaea, which is that fourth century council that Constantine oversaw, which made Christianity like the religion of Rome, um, in which a lot of things, you know, like the Nicene Creed, which is seen as said at Catholic Church, was established. Uh, it is a mistake to say that that council was the place where the canon was established. It's often attributed to the Nicene Council. It actually was already in place, seemingly, the, the Bible, the, the books of the Bible were already in place seemingly by the Council of Nicaea, by the fourth century. And there's even some evidence that um, Origen of Alexandria, who lived between the, the second and third century, so more than a hundred years before the council, was speaking about the 27 books of the Bible. Um, okay, okay. So a canon can be a living thing. It can change, right? Yes. So, so there, there's a pretty mm -hmm. good starting point there with Constantine. But mm -hmm. I think what you're trying to say, Tom, is over time, it, the actual books or the actual text may have changed because there was an authority that could change them. Yes, I would say that I would call it a living authority, right? So that we see these books changing over time and by, I don't know, by the 500s maybe, they're more solidified. But the reason why we have four particular gospels and not three, two, or, or seven isn't due to a lack of gospels, but it's due to the fact that this is what, origin of Alexandria was reading or what he considered biblical. And though he isn't an authority in the Catholic church, actually he was condemned as a heretic in the, the sixth century. Uh, yet that, that authority he granted, I won't say he granted the books, that authority he discovered in the books has persisted and been ratified by future, future, uh, um, what, what you might call a, uh, church authorities and this has happened in more recent times mm -hmm. with another canon probably i guess the second most famous canon um which would be star wars when a new authority showed up mm -hmm. all of a sudden the old authority and what they said counted uh didn't count anymore and we have a new set of the gospel of the star wars universe or whatever you want to Sure. Yeah. <laughs> who would? Who, I, I don't know. Who, who would have written the most important canon? Up. But um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's uh, that's pretty. As Americans, there. it's yeah. the most important canon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I. Go ahead. Well, so then, so then, Star Wars then too is a bit of a living canon. At least. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's certainly a much shorter time span compared to uh, the other canon we're comparing it to. Um, but I guess there is a chance it could change again, right? They, as a company, it may be profitable to say, okay, now that doesn't count. Here's the new set of canon that everybody should be buying into and getting into. Yeah, the, the Star Wars thing does have, well, we should probably explain the the establishment of the canon for people who are not Star Wars, um, who, who aren't geekified by Star Wars, absolutely, <laughs> which which might include me. So, uh, so Star Wars at a certain point is taken over by Disney and there had been up to that point licensed books about the Star Wars universe in which we learned about uh, Luke, uh, excuse me, um, Han and Leia's children. We learned about Luke and his wife. There were there were certain things that were going on, et cetera. Um, this had been licensed by Lucas, but after his after Lucasfilm was sold to Disney, that was considered something called Legends, so not canon. And then Disney began through a kind of executive board system, 
um, established what was canon and then assigned people either to, to write those books, write art those comic books, ink those comic books, or produce those films, all within a unified worldview that said legends was not canonical. It was it was a legend, you know, it was something we couldn't establish as true. While the Disney version of Lucas's ideas became quote unquote true. And I guess we should say the advantage of a canon in terms of pop culture is when you're watching something, everything else that you've watched in canon counts. So if a character, if two characters talk to each other, mm-hmm. that conversation happened and can be referenced in a in a future canon-based episode, mm-hmm. um, which allows for more, again, more things to count, more severity, more weight. Because if characters die, they're dead. They're now dead mm-hmm. in this canon. There, there's no way to bring it back. So that that's the importance of having a canon, which might be a little different than uh, a, a religious reason to have a canon. Well, let's see the the intentions there. So what would you say the intentions of constructing a, what we might call a cinematic universe? Well, we might not, that's a term. People use the term cinematic universe all the time. Um, <laughs> what would be the, the benefit and I think you've listed some of them, but like the, the grand benefit of constructing a Star Wars cinematic slash novelistic universe. Well, before I answer that, is there a difference between that and canon? Between a, a universe, a fictitious universe and canon? I suppose the universe would be the matrix upon which certain things are scripted, right? So the, 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 the universe would be the, um, yeah would be the the field into which certain phenomena are occurring. Uh, and so if you're going to approach the the canon as a writer, let's say you're hired by Disney to, to produce one of these Star Wars novels, they expect a sort of knowledge with the field or with the matrix into which your work will be participating. Now your work can be original, but it cannot be in violation of the rules of the field. And there is your advantage. A, a viewer or a consumer of the media knows what they're watching counts. Mm-hmm. So things they watch in the future will fit with what they're watching now. What they're watching now fits in with what happened in the past. This creates an idea of I've invested into this universe. So I'm going to continue to invest in this universe as long as I'm still entertained, mm-hmm. more so than a standalone piece of art, because then that's a risk for my time. I have two hours to watch a movie. I can continue my journey in this universe or I'm risking myself at a new universe. I think that's a big advantage of a cinematic universe. Yeah, that's great. I, I think that's really well said. Yeah, an investment model. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's good. And you also, as an as a former in, investor, so to speak, or maybe your initial um foot in the water of let's say marvel cinematic universe right what's to see iron man what is the cost it's one film there is a certain house style or quality that you like that is reinforced by virtue of having a shared world so um even if a individual piece of media fails to to be very good right you think of solo the, the movie nobody likes um at least you are still learning more about that world. So your time isn't entirely flushed. Um, you're given world building and um, sort of imaginative imaginative capital as you take that to the next work, which hopefully will be better. Yeah, you're getting lore that may pay off in the future. Even if you're not mm-hmm. enjoying it now, they yeah. may be like, oh, I get that reference because I saw the solo movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, and do you think that is entirely different from the the evolving religious canon we were we started with? Well, I have to admit, I've I've not read that much of the Bible, um, so I never felt like, oh man, if I could read the book of uh, Mark after <laughs> checking out that right. book of. Uh, that would really help my my references here. You know, I'd be able to uh, finally play the, 
Play the <laughs> Finally, uh, play the Beatitude Simulator or something. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I that's I guess the my other question is, what's the difference between a canon and a uh, we, we keep saying cinematic universe because it just rolls mm-hmm. off the tongue, but mediatic universe. What yeah. what is the difference? What why why is, is the MCU a canon? So the Star Wars feels like a canon. Is mm-hmm. Marvel is there a canon there? I I think so. I I would say that I think that the the cinematic universe is the rules of the game, and the canon is activity generated by those rules. Right, I, I think they're intimately related. You can't have a cinematic universe and not have a canon. You can't have a canon without uh, some sort of rules of the game. Some sort of now, it, it could be the case that the rules, the rules of the game. I don't. Well, let's take a look at uh, like Wheels of Time, right? The Wheel of Time, the Robert Jordan thing. There's certainly rules of the game there, right? There's a lot of rules of the game. Um, would you call the that collection of novels a series or a canon? It's an interesting pick. So uh, for the listeners, Wheel of Time started by Robert Jordan. There are 13 books in the series. Um, Robert Jordan was the sole author, right? Author is a big word when we're talking canon. Mm-hmm. Do you sure. need a canon if you only have one author? Mm-hmm. Isn't it like self-fulfilling word there, right? Mm-hmm. If, um, But uh, he died while writing the books and uh, Brandon Sanderson took over i always thought that was a funny name brandon sanderson like there's a just funny yeah. to say um <laughs> brandon sanderson took over but um Very musical <laughs> yeah it's a good a good like uh it's got a good beat um yeah. brandon sanderson took over and he kept true you know to the to the to the if there was a canon he he kept it true and i, I think that's part of why he was chosen is because he loves rule-based fantasy and mm-hmm. very much so followed the rules and and kept with it but i guess so that's another question does the quantity of authors affect either a canon or a mediatic universe so in other words yeah. if you have one author mm-hmm. you, what, he's the authority like that's it right? nobody else mm-hmm. there's no question if mm-hmm. you have two authors you still do you need like they kind of can agree mm-hmm. and move on but once you get more than that is that when the necessity of a canon or a cinematic universe come up? That's interesting. So we have a so, so we have a few things floating here, and we're trying to see. We have the term canon, mediatic universe, series. How are they related? And I think you're you're kind of putting your finger on it, which is authority. Now, my argument with with the biblical stuff is that the authority exists in the books that emerge over time and eventually that authority is is endowed to a a council rather the the bible kind of predates the councils that eventually give it authority um but it seems in in the example you give of of sanderson and and jordan on the example of the star wars cinematic mediatic universe that that authority is discrete. It happens at a particular time and it encompasses certain people. In the case of um, Jordan Sanderson, it's Jordan and Sanderson. And that authority had been, I think, moved from Jordan to Sanderson via Jordan's wife. Do I have that correct? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's his wife that chose Sanderson. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think uh, Jordan Sanderson hung out a lot. Uh, Robert Jordan knew he was dying. Like, I think there mm-hmm. was a transfer of authority, maybe, or, or at least certainly sure. a transfer of knowledge and, and notes. Mm-hmm. And so there, yeah, there is this kind of official, this is officially part of it. Um, and it seems that a, a big part of that too is almost intellectual property rights. Because you have the, the ideas you own right? The, the, it, even more than the, the substance, there's no material here. It's the ideas themselves, the names and the contexts that you own, and you can transfer that property to someone else. So, so property law itself ends up playing, in, uh, playing a role in the creation of authority and the ability to transfer and form canons. Uh, that's also the case with, with Lucasfilm, where uh, Lucasfilms, where um, that material, that, uh, that uh, 
Epcot database of stuff he created was transferred to Disney. Disney formed a council led by, is it Kennedy? Was that her name? I'm not sure. Actually, uh, maybe the, we should have pulled Nick onto this, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I, yeah, I wish we had. <laughs> uh, he's actually doing a Canon project right now, which I, I would love to talk to him about. But um, but you, there was there was one woman who was kind of in charge of what Disney was going to produce in the Star Wars world. And so, again, there was a discrete authority that was legally protected. So there's this, this law institute that protected it. Um, and we know it's discreet and protected because we can witness the transfer in, in our lifetimes, the transfer of authority from one person to the other. So it seems like in these kind of um, more contemporary canons, authority is necessary and you need an institution to recognize that authority. Uh, Unlike the Bible where, well, no, it's not unlike the Bible. The Bible has an institution that recognizes its authority. Now that that substance may have emerged from um, the very early medieval period, but it's still a recognized thing. It just, my argument would be that the Bible instilled the authority in the, the people who have it, and then the people who have it instilled it back in the, in the Bible. Well, I think with Lucasfilms, with, with Marvel, and with Wheel of Time, the authority was always in the author, author authority. And the legal institutions in which these things happened to manifest were very author-friendly, uh, saw authority as listed or, or living in the author. And by virtue of that, they were, create, they were able to create a canon. Um, yeah yeah i i i agree i think that is the flow of authority and authorship mm -hmm. and it's interesting because um uh intellectual property law really came from what's called the eighth of anne which is uh the eighth year of the reign of queen anne who was featured in our um the man who laughed laughs episode uh, but she had the first kind of intellectual property law she passed, at least in, in the Anglo-American tradition, which assigned authority not to the author, but to the bookseller. So people have the right to sell this book or that book. Um, so it, it's really kind of a construct, right? Authority, you know, who has it, who doesn't. And to compare Disney and Robert Jordan is interesting uh, because Robert Jordan Sanderson one mind right and granted there's editors and you know there's, there's yeah, beta testing right mm -hmm. yeah but but we perform one mind we as a we as an audience to to their work perform the idea that there's this one guy and it, it just popped out of his head um well with disney with marvel we recognize the names of producers but understand that these are collective action products Right. Uh, and so it seems like canon, I don't know, maybe a series is single author or very few authors and canon requires the authority to be held amongst a larger group, or at least we are, we as audience are not recognizing single authorship. To take this in a different direction, yeah. new idea that I just had now. Great. I wonder if the difference between a canon and a mediatic universe is a purpose. A canon has a purpose, whereas a mediatic universe maybe doesn't. So we have Star Wars and, and the MCU, which at the end of the day, it's to, to make money for Disney, right? And, and I'm not saying that as an evil corporation or anything like that. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm no. enjoying the movies. I'm, I'm glad mm -hmm. this is all happening. Right? Wheel this of Time was to make money for Robert Jordan. For Robert Jordan, right? Public. He also you know, had yeah. passion and he loved it, but... Mm -hmm. Right. At some point, whereas you can argue the Bible was not the purpose of the Bible was, oh, do you want to go to heaven? Well, here's some advice. Here's some parables. Here's some stories. Here's the history. Here's the future. Here, here's what you well, here's what would help you a lot if indeed you want to ascend in the Christian form of ascending. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if calling star wars a canon might be a mistake maybe the difference between a smaller subset of batman movies not being a canon but we recognize star wars as a canon because it feels like it has more of a purpose 
Okay. So not so, a purpose of canon, but the canon has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And what would be the purpose of the Star Wars canon? That's why I'm saying it might not. Oh, it might not. Maybe be we're, we're misusing the word, right? Because okay. the, the the Bible has a goal way more yeah. than just an enjoy these movies, enjoy these series. Like, <laughs> oh, you remember enjoy Luke? These like, books. Here's, right, right, right. It's right. <laughs> unless I'm wrong about the Bible, right? It, that's a pretty yeah. It. I mean, I would say that the Bible has a the Bible has a teleology that is beyond the enjoyment of the Bible, right? You can read the Bible and enjoy it and appreciate, you know, the, the aesthetic value of it. it. It is a very complex aesthetic work. However, most people who come to the Bible and take it seriously are taking it as a, um, are, are taking it for more than that, as you're saying, right? There's, there's a goal maybe to, to move on to heaven, maybe to be a, a, a good person in this world, maybe something else sure um, sure spiritual reasons moral yeah. reasons and that doesn't mean you can't strictly study the bible as literature or mm-hmm. just read it uh, be an atheist and read it and, and take pleasure in the, the construction of it however that's not really why most people are are approaching this work and it's not why the work was constructed whereas you can also probably approach star wars and actually i'm sure a lot of people do as a moral code, right? They look to Jedi like, oh, these Jedis are cool. Um, your focus mm-hmm. determines your reality, like th- these kind of things. But I don't think that was the purpose of the creation of the Jedi. Yeah. And that's the difference, the purpose for which mm-hmm. this media was being created. Mm-hmm. And that does speak to, th- there's an interesting wrinkle in that because if we take my earlier point that um, the Bible is an emergent document, meaning that there wasn't just one guy who who compiled it, or even one guy who wrote it. Then, um, and that the the formation of the Bible is not the credit of one person, but it sort of happens over time. Then, the agency necessary for the creation of the Bible as canon, it, it just isn't there because there is an agency, right? It's it's an emergent phenomenon. It doesn't have one one mind behind its its scripting or redaction so i don't know maybe the the bible doesn't function as canon or at least it's it's a canon of a different definition or does it need canon because it was more hodgepodge yeah or maybe maybe canonization is something that comes later right 400 years later yeah, hundreds of years later. Right. It, yeah, it, like yeah, again, origin of Alexandria lists out all the books of the Bible. I think most of them. He, he lists out twenty-seven books. I think he had some of them wrong. In you know the early two hundreds, by five hundred, by the five hundreds, he's condemned as a heretic. Yet his list did more to to shape, I think, Catholic thought than you know most things, most people, most thinkers, most Catholics. Than you know he's. He was he's he ain't a saint because he's a heretic. So um so yeah, I, I think maybe possibly the idea of um but then there's a purpose that that's given to it. And maybe the purpose isn't in the scripting, but somebody found the purpose and is still applying that. Uh and then maybe with Star Wars and Star Wars's purpose then would be what to to make money to well right and at the end of the day, yeah. And I mean I the, the Bible, at least historically, hasn't felt that way. Right? <laughs> are people making a, a ton of money selling Bibles? I, I don't know. I, well, certainly religious is extremely profitable. I, I'm not trying to discredit that, but I think mm-hmm. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about yeah. a canonized media and Bible. Yeah. And actually, Tom, one of the first jokes I can remember was, was your dad's joke about selling Bibles. Mm-hmm. Do you remember it? Should I tell it now to... Yeah, sure. So Tom, Tom's, Tom's dad's great. Um, told a lot of jokes, but one of my favorite was uh, he uh, he said, "There's a guy um, selling Bibles." And in fact, there was two guys selling Bibles, and they were talking. And the one guy sold a bazillions of Bibles, and the <laughs> other guy just couldn't do it. And he goes, "How are you doing this? How are you selling so many Bibles?" And he goes, 
Well, but I, 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 what, what, what I do is I, 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 I go up to, I go up to the door, I go up to the door, and I ring, I go right, right, ring the, usually they ring the doorbell, I ring the doorbell, and they come to the door, they come to the door, they come to the door, and I say hello, and I say hello, and I say hello, and I say I'm here to, I'm here to, I'm here to set up, set up a Bible, here to set up a Bible. Would you like to, would you like to buy one, or would you like me to read it to you? There we go. Yeah. Um, yes thanks dad so what if what what have we concluded here would you say um we've talked about there's different authors Mm -hmm. uh if there's one person two person -person. multi-person we've talked about canon having a purpose versus just entertainment or Mm -hmm. bottom line for a company it's i think the two big takeaways so how do we talk about authority how would we say it? Yep. Okay. Okay. And so we'd say that authority is something that's very important for, for a canon. Um, and authority is often recognized, especially contempor- in contemporary times, as being transferred via an author, although that was not always the case. Okay. Great. So we have that. Um, we have series, which is maybe a term for things that kind of follow each other that have maybe a vertical dimension, but not a horizontal dimension that might be possible in terms of narrative. Um, we so didn't you, talk about that. So, so, uh, so you, I guess you're saying a, a series um, kind of moves forward and is serial. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. but Remarkable but it, observation on my part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you have a TV series, it's episode one through 50, but then mm-hmm. we're not really considering any video games that were based on it or maybe comics that weren't it exactly but were adjacent yeah. side stories of characters that's what you yeah, better by call saul is not in the series breaking bad right that's a horizontal mm-hmm. move not a vertical move yes exactly and so that might be might be a difference there and then we also talked about cinematic universe my theory still being cinematic universe is the matrix upon which the phenomena of canon occurs i don't know if you have a contending your, yours was teleological. Yours was intention differs between cinematic universe and canon. Right, right. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a, a reason to call this the canon. There, there's a, I'll, I'll use the word higher purpose behind mm-hmm. this multi-attic universe. Mm-hmm. Multi-attic, okay. mediatic. Well, mo- multimedia. Terrible word. Multimedia universe. Perfect. The 90s You just multi-media. say multimedia. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. That encyclopedia is not canon. <laughs> uh actually yeah that's interesting encyclopedias is canon we could do that too a canon of english word <laughs> audience if you're not bored yet we're about to talk about the canon of encyclopedia <laughs> well i mean there there is not not to go too but if you think of like the oxford english dictionary i don't know if you ever used that before versus like webster's not that i've known like i the uh, okay. amount of times i use a dictionary is pretty low and i don't i don't know which yeah, one i may different. have used so if you think of webster's as an american dictionary which had these uh, american spellings like color lost its u etc because we're american we're not british you know that type of thing and it canonized words as having particular american qualities the oxford english dictionary which is is updated every year it is the most enormous dictionary it's the most copious um it is all about collecting as many words and definitions as they are used. So it's, it's a, uh, a work that is not seeking to canonize the English language or words in the English language. It's seeking to see how they function. While Webster's like, we are canonizing, you know, you know what I mean? We are making an American discourse, uh, an American language. Yeah, we've added a word to the, to the dictionary and it's a big deal, mm-hmm. I guess, for Merriam, whereas... That's what Oxford does all yeah, the time. Yeah, they, they that, do it yeah. every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, like bootylicious is in there as soon as it was used because, you know, with, with citations of when it was used. Yeah. So that's a kind of canon versus functional uh, distinction. Back to Batman? Back to Batman. Batman, yeah. All right. <laughs> so m- my particular theory of Batman um is that there is a, a quality I will call stock. And stock taking is a collection of stock characters. We could think of the Greek plays of um, 
of the great Greek writers like Aeschylus and Euripides and Sophocles as working in stock. I'm Sophocles. Was that the you? Is that, is, <laughs> is, that, that, is that why like Batman's based on like a Sophocles was a playwright by day, fighting crime by night? In <laughs> oh, <me>. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so anyway, so they're drawing from a stock of Greek myths and Greek myths aren't really canonized, right? They're just sort of, there's no book that says these are the myths and these are not the myths. I mean, the closest we can get is Homer, but you know, most of Greek myths are not from Homer. Um, you know, if you've read Homer, you know, you, you know this, they're, they're two stories. Um, so Tom, let me just try to put it. So you're saying Hercules, the character his stories don't need to work with each other. And when people are writing stories, they can use Hercules as a character if it makes sense for their story, similar to Batman or really more Batman's villains. When you want to tell a story like this, you pull this villain. Yeah, I think it's if you want to tell the story of Hercules, um, there isn't an authority to work from. Right. Everybody knows Hercules was the son of Zeus. Hercules had 12 labors. What those labors were, we all know this, or the, the Greeks who were in the audience knew this. And if you wanted to make a change, you're using the kind of communal capital to, you know, kind of surprise everyone by having a major change. If you want to use that communal capital not to change the, the myth, so to speak, but to have something original happen within text or, or something like that, you could do that. Um, but there was no, I would say no authority that told you what actually happened in the life of Hercules and what didn't, unlike what we see at Disney where we know a lot of the details of Han Solo's life because they've written them in books, they've done a, a solo movie, there's many movies featuring Han Solo. Um, yeah, and so I, I think those Greek myths work in that way. We could also look at Commedia dell'arte of the 16th century, in which you have characters like uh, Datore, the um, the Harlequin, etc., who are these kind of stock characters. Who you know, Datore is trying to marry like this young, beautiful woman, and you know she's in love with the the young beautiful man and he's kind of a miser and there's a there's a clown that he works with etc you know there's something kind of familiar about these things but you could place them within different or new circumstances in order to generate originality however there is no authority that tells you where these people came from what they need to do you don't have to pay anyone for the rights etc batman is a little more interesting because the rights to batman are owned and transferable However, I would say the way we use Batman seems to me more like stock than canon. Yeah, an easy comparison is the 89 Batman to the Dark Knight, where mm -hmm. you have a uh, the millionaire billionaire who has successfully been Batman for a little bit mm -hmm. and has the same enemy as the Joker, but the movies are completely different plots, mm -hmm. you know, completely different. So you can pull these same characters and tell mm -hmm. similar but very different stories yeah so we have yeah exactly we have a, a stock and we could recount those things 89 versus the dark the dark knight i think it was called with, yep. with the heat ledger joker versus suicide squad with batman and the the whatever his name was joker they think the one everybody wants to forget um yeah and i think batman functions more more as stock than canon it's almost there's an authority on expectations, mm -hmm. like you were saying with the Greeks, and and you can, um, you know, surprise people and and not do those expectations. But in general, Batman should be a millionaire. Batman should have a mansion. Batman should have a Batcave. Batman mm -hmm. should probably have a Batmobile. But his literal personality can be different, mm -hmm. and his style yeah. can be different. Um, and then same with all the villains that you know, Poison Ivy should have a greenhouse but you know after that <laughs> yeah and it's odd because you say the the authority is in the expectation but it's like the authority is in the audience the authority is in you know oh. people who want to go or not go 
Mm-hmm. And if you violate their trust too much, they stop going. I think this is the Batman and Robin problem, the Joel Schumacher film. Right? <laughs> Holy Where rusted it's... metal Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. in a kind of an emergent authority. Again, it, it comes from it comes from the crowd, which is also true of the Greeks. The Greeks were uh, putting on plays in a contest, and whoever won. Well, all right. So, but hang on, let's take a step back. So, sure, the ones we remember and we like, maybe that's up to the crowd. But mm-hmm. the Joel Schumacher ones made just as much money as the rest. Did the I, my understanding was Batman and Robin um, took a beating at the oh, box? Did it? I yeah. No, but I, I mean, the, the Nolan Batman movies made a bucket of money, though. They, all three of them were incredibly successful. So, I, yeah, um, it doesn't matter if Michael Caine saw it or not. It, it, you know, <laughs> they, they made a ton of money. Audiences liked it. They were, I think they were well-liked. And we know it because they made a lot of money. Well, the, the fourth Batman movie, well, the, the second Joel Schumacher movie, I thought it took a beating at the box office. Certainly took a critical beating. Uh, And I think, yeah, audience expectation is a big thing. You eventually are playing to um, the crowd, which also has a lot of similarities with the Bible in the sense of an emergent phenomenon. Batman and Robin failed and Joel Schumacher, there was supposed to be a fifth one um, that that actually featured the return of, of Jack Nicholson. Uh, following Batman and Robin, but Batman and Robin did so poorly that they just never made it. That was going to be the first Harley Quinn um, uh, film. And it is an emergent phenomenon. Batman and Robin failed because audiences didn't like it. It was power. It was authority from the bottom filtering up. And I think that's kind of how the Bible started as well. I think it's authority from these different um, desert father sources that got passed on, passed on. We don't exactly know at what point they said these four gospels and not these four gospels, um, but it was power from below that was later, you know, canonized by by people with authority. And so in, in these cases, and I think with Batman, um, we have to, when considering canon, think of its endurance or think of the endurance of things in stock as in part being informed by power from below. Tom, are you suggesting the book of Joel just wasn't popular and that's why it didn't make it into the Bible? Like who were the readers back then? Were there a lot of readers back then? There was small Christian communities. I don't think they were particularly large. Um, You know, but I think that what ends up happening is so I, I I can speak to one non-canonical gospel I've read. So if you know the Gospel of Thomas, I, I have heard of that, the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've not uh, mm-hmm. read it or I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, but. it was rediscovered in, I think, 1947. But the Gospel of Thomas is a beautiful work. It's incredibly artistically uh, pregnant. It, it's um, very mystic. Christ doesn't get crucified in that one. You just, they, they, they leave it out. <laughs> you know? um, wow. it, it's, it mostly functions as a sayings gospel, which is... The closest this to this in, in canonical works is Mark, um, but a sayings gospel is a collection of sayings by Jesus, and that's how, how Thomas functions. We don't have sayings gospels like Thomas in the canon because people want the narrative of the crucifixion and the resurrection. That is central to the self-understanding of a, a Christian or Catholic community, regardless of size. So it gets left out. Now, you know, we could say that it wasn't popular um, and, and that's gone, but there is also a definitive reason. It's harder, I think, to say that uh, that Batman and Robin did not generate future films because of a specific reason. I mean, we have to kind of take it as a, as a totality and say this failed or didn't fail. But I think all, despite the fact that I can identify a specific reason in, in Thomas, not just me, you know, Anybody who knows this stuff can identify a specific fact in Thomas, uh, but cannot identify a specific fact in Batman and Robin doesn't change the underlying f- underlying phenomena, which is that the the canon formation or the stock formation, both of them, are based upon an authority that very often is emergent. It's dispersed. It's shared. 
So I'm not going to comment on that, Tom, because, well, but I will ask, so do you think the reason the, I guess the second Joel Schumacher Batman movie failed is because they strayed too far from the expectations of the stock of Batman or the villains in there? Is that why it failed? Possibly. I mean, the, the shortest way of saying it is audiences didn't like it, right? Right, but did it, but there's I think there's more reasons that an audience didn't like it besides mm-hmm. it didn't meet their Batman expectations. It wasn't like, oh well, Batman's not a, a billionaire in this one. I'm rejecting mm-hmm. it. It wasn't um I don't I don't re- which one is that the Val Kilmer one or is that the George Clooney? No, this is the George Clooney one. George this Clooney. The, and then the villains were Mr. Freeze, Mr. Uh, Freeze. Schwarzenegger and uh Poison Ivy. And actually Bane, you know. <laughs> so was Mr. Freeze not what audience expected from Mr. Freeze or was it just not a well-made movie or it didn't there's other reasons besides straying from the stock um, expectations and norms that a movie can fail yeah I I would agree I I don't know if they're straying from I mean if we compare it to the the Silver Age of Batman so roughly 19... 50, 1955 to 1969, it's actually much more similar to that. Um, or the Adam West series, which also was deeply influenced by the, the Silver Age and the Silver Age was influenced by that. That kind of corny thing was immensely popular in the late 1960s uh, on television. I think the Joel Schumacher, Batman and Robin would have fit in well there, but possibly the expectation changed, you know, and. Um, you can't talk about the history of Batman without talking about the, the post-Bronze Age, the modern age, which is the 80s, which is a very dark character, um, much more realistic in terms of feelings, uh, much more despairing, uh, much more, uh, much darker, much darker. And to that, those comics succeeded very well. And actually, they, they influenced the Nolan films very much. I mean, Batman Begins is very much is very similar to Batman Year One, um, w- which was very successful and much more gritty comic book, even more gritty than the, the the film Batman Begins itself. And so, I think that the audience expectation had changed. It would have fit the 1960s. It would have fit the Silver Age, but it didn't fit uh, a, a post 1980s audience they they expected they demanded something else um in the same way that if you look at aeschylus sophocles and euripides that's the kind of order chronologically that those greek writers come out euripides plays are very different from aeschylus's plays and aeschylus was amazingly successful um but you know audiences about a 200 years later i think it was who are seeing Euripides plays had a different expectation. There's much more psychological subtlety in Euripides than Aeschylus. And this is not to take anything away from Aeschylus. These, these plays are wonderful, um, but expectations have changed. And maybe we might go back to silliness again, you know, or, or camp, you know, we shouldn't say silly camp. Um, but, you know, but, what allows a successful Batman film is still going to be us. It's still going to be the audience. It's still going to be the authority. And it's interesting. And maybe that's the difference between stock and um, stock and, and, and Canon. Um, It's, you know, it, it is where this authority comes from. So I, I think one of the things we're recognizing is we love it when someone can take a character we know but then find the perfect balance of familiarity and Mm -hmm. new things Mm -hmm. and we're like yes this is they took this thing and they made it modern like we we love that kind of (laughs) um this kind of thing and and batman's kind of the perfect morphing Mm-hmm. Oh, that was dark. We really liked it because it was dark. <laughs> you know, whatever, it's whatever good it is. Because it's dark. Yeah. 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 Um, mm-hmm. Which I think is pretty great. But I'm not sure how it connects back. Like, it's hard to then compare to something like Star Wars, the universe, right? Luke is Luke. We're not. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, everybody got upset when he was a, uh, a crotchety old man, <laughs> um, which I love. But 
that was he aged right it wasn't a reinterpretation of uh teenager luke yeah it was the same guy that lived mm-hmm. through something and this is how he is now yeah yeah i and i think that yeah yeah and i think it's it's the placement of authority there also as well i mean it's it's in the who's ever generating these kind of um uh disney lucas films um but yeah it's a major difference is that batman is going to be reinterpreted every once in a while by a new a new film director and whatnot i think the the reason why there was such a delay with the tim burton was like contractual and strikes and 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 those types of things apparently was intended for the early 80s and, and just got getting pushed back um and I think Robert Pattinson, I think he signed on to do three of them, right? So I think you're going to get... I don't know. Yeah, I think you get another trilogy. I mean, we might see him throughout the 20s as as Batman. Wow. And I wonder what Batman will be in the, the 2030s. And, you know, um, it'll loop around because Batman started in, in 1939. Um, we'll have a new 30s Batman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess it's the benefit of stock is that it is more malleable and therefore more open to reinterpretation so tom do you like canon right i I, i'm gonna go out on a limb and speak for nick here i think he quite enjoys the idea that everything lines up and fits right that's yeah i would say that's it's either important to him or or again it's it's something that Mm -hmm. it, it it checks a box for him that that's good do you like that is that something you seek I would say it isn't. I, I will, as a kid, the one experience with canon that I had was probably the Stephen King books as a very small kid, um, because there is a sort of Stephen King canon with the Dark Tower series at, at the center of it. Um, and then a lot of Stephen King books, such as It, uh, um, what is the other book that takes place in Derry? Insomnia, that's it, it Insomnia. Rose Matter, The Talisman, these all sort of contribute bits of understanding to the Dark Tower world. They all take place within it. Um, you know, and then Dark Tower 4, they walk into the world of the stand. And so the stand gets brought into the this kind of um, this world building exercise. As a child, I found that a lot of fun. I enjoy maybe about half the Marvel movies, but it's, it's hard to say if that's because there's a, a, a canon in Marvel or because some of them are good and some of them aren't. Um, I, I really liked Endgame and it's hard to imagine Endgame as having the kind of impact it did without the, the previous, w- without it standing as the ultimate expression of this canon, right? It's like, it's not just a, a good movie. It's also, here are all the characters from, from past films this is the canon writ large. Um, so to say I enjoyed Endgame, but not as a canon, I think would be to misspeak. I, I, I think that was necessary to, to the enjoyment of it. I will say I don't seek out canon material. I think in the way way Nick does, um, I, and I, I don't really know why. Uh, partially it might be that I, I don't really want to make such a sizable investment. <laughs> um, Nick has spent a lot of time reading Star Wars, a lot of time watching Star Wars. Uh, I, I, as someone who has fairly limited enjoyment, <laughs> who, who who doesn't enjoy Star Wars movies that much, that that just seems difficult. I suppose I, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, but I can appreciate that, and I can appreciate the 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 sort of um the sort of community that is brought up in the wake of canon building right it's a group of people who know the rules right who know this world it's like a small town it's like a small town of people who like we know this town and you know anybody driving through the town might go this is just another small town i've seen a million of them um but the people in that town know the particular character of the town and they're not wrong to assign a particular character to that town uh, every town does have its own little character even though most of us just can't see it because we're not from those towns and i think the, the experience with canon is something like that it's something like 
here's these 10 or 20 or 30,000 or 40,000 people who've done all the work for Star Wars. They've read all the books, they've read all the comic books, they've seen all the movies, and they know, you know, I think Chris is, is one of those, and Nick is one of those as well. And they're, they know the ins and outs of this town. They know the beauty of it. They know the cheese of it. They know where it fails, but they know where it really works and why it's worth, you know, to, to extend this already tired metaphor, why it's worth buying a house, buying property, right? And I think that's the, the canon idea. And this speaks to something, an energy that then expends, extends beyond the canon, the fan fiction phenomenon. Which, well, hang on, hang on. I, if I could interject, Tom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think we just discovered another thing Canon gives us is another way to connect. Mm-hmm. I can connect to a person because not only have we consumed this media, but we understand and we trust that this media is not going to violate these rules. That way we can connect. Like you and I can now connect about these Star Wars things. We can like certain things or disagree about what we like about certain things because there is a authority telling us that, hey, don't worry, we're not going to break these rules. You're not going to have to argue about who's going to win in a fight, this guy or this guy, because they had a fight and that fight <laughs> counted and that's that's it. Yeah. So you can, you can either enhance your friendship or your relationship or have conversations about it in a more meaningful way because there's gravitas behind that. It, it counts. Yeah, it can. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It, it becomes that, you know, it's a fandom is right. Fandom is, um, I think it is, you know, not that different from that guy who grew up in this town and never left and thinks it's just the greatest town in the, you know, in the world. And, and, you know, somebody who, spend a lot of time you know living in a city and really desperately wants to move back there i i feel somewhat condescending towards that attitude but you know I, the older i get the more i i kind of understand that it's it's the familiar it's the familiar and it's also it's ours it's our thing right um and that energy transcends the canon and this is where i was saying before the the, the kind of fan fiction phenomenon which is specifically anti-canon i mean it's it's purposely anti-canon most of it's porn um but you know it's it's when independent writers just write a story of you know Mulder and scully doing something that it, you know and it's is it officially x-files absolutely not it's definitively not um but this is it this is this is where canon connects to stock um there is a canon of X-Files. It includes these however many seasons, the reboot, the two films, right? Two films. Yeah, um, I think there was two movies, yeah. Yeah, there's two films. And that's canon. That's what happened in that world. But if you're an enthusiast, you can write a story and there's plenty of places online where people share them. Um, and, and you can actually create a series of these stories about Mulder and Scully in a number of, of exciting episodes that are not canon. They're definitely not canon, but they reimagine the canon as stock and they take that stock and they, they generate these stories. Now they can do this because they're not selling anything, you know, so intellectual property laws are not violated, but communities uh, spring up around these things. And if you start putting out fan fiction that people like online, People will write to you, and I, I, I haven't written this fan fiction, but I know people who have, and I've spoken to them about this. Um, people will write to you and say, "Please continue this story. It's really good." If you're, you know, not not producing as regularly as you used to, um, and so a whole new community springs up, much in the same way that we talked about community around canon, but now a community around stock, um, and so canon allows for stock, and that's uh, that's. I think purely a function of, of the internet age and how easily things are able to be shared. Um, but in both cases, both in the case of canon and in stock, what defines these things? And I think this is true of the biblical stuff as well, but community, right? It's, it's, what, it's how we say ourselves. It's how we declare ourselves every day. Um, and sometimes we do that through... Uh, devotion to a particular religion, maybe through a political ideology, but in a lot of cases, through 
the entertainment we consume. And if you're the kind of guy who real or, or gal who really likes canon stuff, it's what's official, what's authoritative. And I want to talk to the people who know, right? And then we can kind of uh, BS about what's good, what's bad, as long as you know what's in the thing. And if you're kind of a fan fiction person, it's it's more generative. It's more taking, um, it's taking the 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 Mulder and Scully canon and expanding it or transforming it into commedia dell'arte and doing whatever you want to do with it. Well, Tom, I, I think this B side is definitely in the talking picture trivia canon for sure. Ah. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it's, KJ is not only replicating my father's jokes, he's generating his own dad jokes. Yeah, I'm starting my own joke canon. Um, <laughs> so me and Mr. Layman are the authority on that, I think. It's the... <laughs> yeah, we got to get my dad on the show. Well, thank you very much, KJ. Um, and this has been, I, I've had a ton of fun. Uh, I hope people like this conversation. I'll have to say our, our, um, other member of our team, Nick, is right now doing his own canon project. He's list, he's list, uh, he's watching the 100 movies from this New York Times book, um, and I'd really love to hear what he has to say about about that experience. And hopefully, maybe we'll get him on one of these B sides to talk about that. It sounds like great. a really yeah. great project. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, this has been Tom with B side, and this has been KJ as a guest on B side. Really. Yeah, and uh, thank you very much. We will see you next time.